It's the 18th of June, 2013. This is the iDeveloper Podcast, episode 88. Well, it's uh, just me as your host today. John has had a family uh, issue he's had to go and deal with, so we wish you all the best, John, and hope everything is okay. But I do have a, a wonderful guest with me today from Rem Objects, Mr. Mark Hoffman. Hello, everybody. Glad to be back. It's uh, good to have you back on on the show, Mark. And we're going to talk about uh, uh, some of your new releases from Rem Objects um, uh, in a little bit. But I think yeah, we've got to start with. Um, I know we're late to the game, and all the real podcasters did their show during the week. But um, yeah, we have to sort of start with a, a dub dub DC roundup. So yeah, overall, what was your impression of WWDC two thousand and thirteen? Uh, I liked it quite a bit, I must say. I mean, I've been I've been going regularly for about six years now, and I think this was a very good one. I mean, I was very excited going in, and I think the keynote and all the stuff they they announced pretty much beat the expectations even. Um, so I'm really happy. And of course, there's lots of stuff we can talk about from from all the sessions afterwards. But but even just from the keynote, I mean, as people can tell that there's a lot lot going on in the Apple universe. And the next few months should be very exciting, I think. I have to say, apart from there was the um, there was quite a lot of debate about whether people liked or didn't like the icons and everything from um, iOS seven. But I found this was a generally a really positive WWDC. Everyone seemed really upbeat and uh, positive about what was happening and where things were going. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be people complaining about this little detail or that. And, and to be honest, I mean, like I've been playing with iOS 7 a bit and, and there's stuff here and there that takes some getting used to. And sure, some of the icons do look a little odd. I agree with people there. But I mean, this is really just details and we still have ways to go before RTM, right? Okay, I, I guess the serious question, I mean, something that sort of also got lost a little bit in the iOS 7 sort of redesign is um, OS 10 Mavericks. Um, I think it's a silly name, but there we are. What's yeah, <laughs> like I think everybody, every, every single person I talked to is like, "What's with the name?" But yeah, I mean, other, aside from the name, I think it looks like a really promising de- release. Sort of, I guess, more of a snow leopard kind of release with lots of changes under the hood, and the the user facing stuff is there, but it's it's really sort of minimal. So all the all the biggies are uh, internal stuff, new APIs, so things to make the system more efficient. Um, but I think it's really exciting. Um, and personally, I really, I really like Apple seeing Apple put put that much emphasis on on things like battery life, and and there were several sessions uh, uh, through the week where they talked about how to you know leverage features like AppNap and the stuff they talked about, and it's really great to see lots of people showing up there because if there's one thing we can always use on our laptops, even you with your new MacBook Air, uh, is better battery life, right? I mean, I think that the good news to me um, was first of all. Uh, this, there's an acknowledgement in what they're doing with all this battery saving stuff that you know the modern OSs are um, probably more laptop based than desktop based um, right. and they're, and they're take, making the most out of that I mean I, I bought one of the new um, MacBook Airs um, last week I've had it a couple of days now um, yeah the battery life on it is amazing I mean even during setup when it was just constantly copying things from disk drives and across the network from other machines and doing things like building rails and everything so you know the cpu was just driving at 100 percent all the time 
I think, you know, I've got the 11-inch air. I think it was still over five hours till I had to put the power pack in, even when it was just working 100%. So that's... Really that good. is pretty good, yeah. Um, and of course, this isn't even running Mavericks yet, so yeah, what sort of life we'll get then? So I think that's really good. But even more um, exciting to me was the fact that uh, Craig Federici said we were looking for a name for the, next, name, 10 name for, for the yeah. next ten years, and that was you know a one statement that said you know this is an uh, an OS that even at this time we are committed to and going forward. Um, I agree with you. Um, Mavericks looks like a sort of Snow Leopard release, which, which when we first all saw it, we said, oh, well, there's not a lot in it. But actually, Snow Leopard is for developers was one of the best releases ever, if you ask me. I, uh, I agree, yeah. I mean, matter of fact, I think, I think it was my second WWDC when they announced Snow Leopard. And I, I remember I was, I was really impressed at the time, that at, at the guts it must have, must have taken to sit down and say, you know, listen, this new release, it's going to have nothing user-facing. We're just going to concentrate on making it better. And I was like... Well, I'm really starting to back the right platform here. I think there was sort of a point where I really, I mean, I was sort of, I got into Apple and OS X like, like a year or a year and a half before that. But that was the point where I really said, these guys are really serious about what, what they're doing with the operating system and with what's going on under the hood and not just I don't know, selling flashy stuff, right? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it was um, great. And I thought the keynote was... Um, really high quality i thought i thought the the crate frederiki was excellent he was on fire he was you know they were they were taking the uh uh the mick a little bit out of themselves and yeah. maybe an ex-employee or two <laughs> <laughs> um but it, uh, it it had a great tone and um yeah i feel i think this is far the first dub dub really that's far enough after steve jobs exiting the company that you know, they wouldn't have been able to just get away by living off the past. They had to show something of the future. And to me, the future looks good. Indeed, yeah. Okay, so uh, I guess the only question um, left to ask is the um, the Mac Waste Paper Basket, better known as the, the Mac Pro. Yes or no? I can't wait to get it. <laughs> it's, it's I, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm just going to buy one. I don't need yeah, one, but I'm going to buy mean... one. <laughs> And I've been I've been waiting for a new Mac Pro for for ages. I mean, mine is from two thousand eight, and it's it's still running fine mostly, but it's starting to show its age. So I'm really excited to get a new one. It's going to be interesting to see where the pricing falls. Um, and I've heard people go from, "Oh, this is going to be far more expensive than the existing Mac Pro because effectively because of the high end um, graphics cards that are in it that up that are." I mean, I don't know anything about graphics cards, but those who are in the know tell me these are top-end graphics cards, um, but they're soldered, I believe, into the machine. You cannot change them. Yeah. Um, no. So there are some people who are saying um, that, you know, because of that, it's going to be an incredibly expensive machine. But equally, because they're soldered, because it's just chips, because it's part of um, the machine itself, you know, maybe Apple have got a great deal on these things. And maybe because it's not going to be so upgradable from that point of view, Apple are going for this is a far more of a... Um, a disposable machine which people are going to replace every couple of years keeping all their external peripherals for the thunderbolt so they might surprise us and it may actually be cheaper than we think yeah actually I, th I think like in the past like four or five years apple in general has sort of gotten into the neck of surprising us with how low price stuff actually is i mean remember back when before the, when there was all the buzz about the ipad being announced and everybody was like "Ooh, are they going to manage to have a tablet under a thousand bucks and then they just came out there with 500 bucks as the, as the lowest price, right? 
I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be able to configure that thing to go up to 10K or something if, 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 if you're fancy with, I don't know, 256 if, gigs of RAM and things like and, that. Yeah, but, and the 12-core processor, because it's only a single processor on this one as well. But, I mean, yeah, for most of us, probably, yeah, the point is at the moment, um, I think this is still the case now. You can buy a fairly basic um, 2010 model Mac Pro, um, as they were, and they're still um, more powerful than the rest of the lineup right now. Um, so I'm expecting that even the base model is going to be more powerful than most of the things we can buy right now. And you know, so a base model with maybe 16 gig of RAM in it, and um, interesting to see how much um, storage they put in it because they're using um, flash um, uh, RAM. Um, so it's um, uh, going to be sort of quite expensive. But equally, I'm guessing, are they just going to put enough in just to run the OS? You know, are they going to come with 128 as a default or maybe 256, expecting you to put everything else externally? Are they going to come with a terabyte in? That's going to crank the price if they do. That'll be interesting yeah. to see where they go. And maybe they're going to, maybe they're going to enable the, what's it called, the Fusion Drive for, for external Thunderbolt drives. So, I mean, just guessing. So maybe if you could if you plug in a bigger Thunderbolt drive, you can... You can fusion drive across to those. I don't know if that's something they would consider too risky in terms of you pl unplug the drive and you're kind of screwed or if that's something they'd support, but that might be one way to sort of get the feeling of a bigger bigger drive, bigger main drive, even without going all the way out with the SSD. But I'm, I'm guessing 512 probably is the minimum what they're going to put in for, for this kind of thing. Yeah, I think the base will be uh, possibly 256, might be 512. Uh, I think we'll probably see it come with 8 gig or 16 gig of memory is the standard and the quad core, whatever the quad core uh, Xeon processor is, which for most of us as devs is a perfectly meaty, beefy machine. Oh, indeed, yeah. Um, that's going to do the job well. Um, and yeah, it's. Um, I think they're going to have quite a few orders. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Right, well, that's uh, that's Dub Dub. Um, overall, um, you've been since when was your first Dub Dub? Was it uh, two thousand eight? Yeah, that was that was the same as my first Dub Dub. I've not been to everyone since then. You have. Um, where does this rank amongst all your Dub Dubs so far? It's always hard to say because they're always so good, but I, I definitely say it, it ranks in the, in the in the upper half. I mean, just overall. I mean, just in terms of like sort of the excitement that was there before the keynote and all the stuff they did deliver on. Where in the past, you sort of had this, like 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 last year, pretty much all the stuff they showed was sort of already out there in terms of leaks and rumors, which, I mean, isn't Apple's fault, but still sort of dampened the, the overall excitement you got from the event. Uh, while this year was really, you really went in there with without really expecting anything except, okay, yeah, there's going to be new MacBook Airs and maybe some new flat, maybe good, maybe not, iOS 7 UI, but that's pretty much all we knew or expected. So I was pretty much, I, I think there was lots of surprises and that, that always makes makes the event more interesting. It was surprising not to see a new MacBook Pro just basically to put the Haswell processors in because the Haswell processors, um, as well as being far more power efficient, because in, in the MacBook Airs, um, because the processors are more powerful and more efficient, they've actually um, taken the clock speed down. So I think the standard MacBook Air is now 1.3 instead of a 1.8 gigahertz. I mean, I've ordered one with the upgraded processor. I went for the 1.9 <laughs> 1. 1. i7, um, which is going to be yeah. interesting to see what the uh, the battery life is like when I'm using it fully. Um, but, you know, I was 
equally the graphics performance on the um Haswell's is, is hugely better than on the current um, range of chips and it was going to be interesting to see if they were going to bring out a MacBook Pro that was um, again about to be driven by the onboard uh, graphics as opposed to having external graphics and bringing the battery life and up and over that way um, yeah. but we didn't see that but I may be wondering if they're just holding back on the MacBook Pros a little bit until they can also put Thunderbolt 2 on them that could be it, or maybe they just just weren't ready in general, and they're just sort of going to do a, like an interim update, like uh, sort of no update update kind of thing with them, where they just like do a quick announcement on the website, and and now you can buy the newer ones. Because I mean, maybe the the overall difference isn't going to be as huge, so they didn't want to detract from from all the things that actually were major changes that they showed yet, uh, last week. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, I mean, it's maybe maybe you know. The Haswell chips are brand new. I mean, they were only released by Intel at the beginning of June. Right. Um, so maybe it was a case of we need to choose a product line because of supply and just put them in one and wait till the supply picks up for the others or something. And uh, because of the power consumption um, part of them, the MacBook Airs made the most sense to put them in first because obviously those are the ones they want to say, be able to say amazing battery life for. Right, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I never used the, one of the new Mac Pros, MacBook Pros myself, but I'm, I'm guessing they already have pretty decent uh, battery life in, compar- in comparison to the Airs. So so maybe maybe the step up wasn't that bad, that big there, and they didn't want to sort of just distract from from the big improvement they had uh, with both the airs and 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 with Mavericks also sort of tying that together as a our theme on the Mac side is battery life this this year around so we show the two things that actually improve battery life which is the new airs and 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 Mavericks right that sounds that sounds about right uh, I bought the 11 inch air in the end because the specs interestingly the specs of the 11 and the 13 inch now other than the screen size are identical um, so as it as most of the time my laptop is plugged into a bigger screen on my desk, it seemed to go for the most portable version for when it wasn't. Um, hopefully, I won't regret that. But of course, <laughs> that will become irrelevant when I get the Mac Pro and that plugs into my desk. Just want to have a, a really small, neat laptop to carry around. Yeah, I, I, I exactly I love, what I need. So there we are. I, I love the 11 inch, inch Air. I've I've had yeah. one for for like three or four years now. But ever since they came out with the sort of the revised versions. Uh, and I, I've got the one from last year, so I, I figured I'd skip this year and save my money for the Mac Pro instead. <laughs> there we are. Right, okay. Well, let's talk about saving money for something. How about saving money so that you can visit our sponsor this week, which is Invasive Code. Invasive Code, Invasive Code. Everybody, Everybody loves, loves Invasive Code. Oh. There we are. <laughs> we have to keep doing it. Um, uh, they provide iOS training. Um, I know that they are busy already updating their training for iOS 7 for as fast as they can and as soon as they're allowed to do it. Um, but obviously you may still need to be training before then. So they have training coming up in California in um, August, Italy in July, um, San Francisco, California again in August, so two in um, uh, California, no sorry, one in California in August and then back in Spain in September, so they're all over the world, Invasive Co. providing iOS training. Um, basically they have an intensive five-day course which you can break down into a beginner three-day course or an advanced two-day course, never more than 10 people on the course, um, seven hours in the classroom, hours in the labs in the evening, all the printed material, you get your lunch, you get refreshments, you get three months of email support afterwards. We have good feedback that these guys do a decent job. So if you've got somebody um, who needs to get up to speed on iOS, you need to train somebody on your team, um, then give these guys a... Um, a call and go and check them 
out. So you can check them out at training.invasivecode.com. And uh, if when you're booking, you use the order code IDEVTV-2013, that's IDEVTV-2013, you will get $200 off whichever course you book. We want to thank Invasive Code for sponsoring the show. They've been sponsored with us for a long, long time now. Um, they make sure we cover our bandwidth costs and things like that, which is which is great. We thank them. Please do check them out and uh, give them some iDeveloper TV love. Okay, right. Mark, you are from a company called Rem Objects, who That's right. have been um, long-time sponsors of this show as well. Thank you very much for that, we will um, we say. Always glad uh, to. And um, we were always talking about your data abstract product when you were sponsoring the show, uh, which is to do with sort of um, multi-tier databases and client-server computing and real multi-user computing as opposed to core data, which is basically a single-user data store. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about because we talked about it before. You have just brought something to the iOS and Mac platform that you've had on other platforms for a little while, um, which seems quite exciting, and we want to tell our users about about. So I'm going to hand it over you to you to introduce what it is and give us the first introduction. Okay, so basically the product is Oxygen for Coco. So Oxygen is a programming language that we've been, we've been working on for quite a while, basically starting back in, I think, 2003, 2004. Um, and originally we shipped Oxygen for the .NET platform, which is sort of by default built out to, to support different languages naturally. And then a couple of years back, we brought Oxygen to the Java platform, mainly for Android development as well. And we figured that this thing wouldn't really be complete if we didn't also bring Oxygen to the platform I personally like best, and that is Coco. So that's what we've done this summer. So last month, we released Oxygen for Coco, which is basically a third sort of addition or pillar or whatever you want to call it of the Oxygen language that lets you write native applications for the Coco platform built straight for the Objective-C runtime with all the classes of the Objective-C runtime using the Oxygen language. And the Oxygen language is it's based in Object Pascal. So lots of the listeners might be going, ooh, Pascal, my dad used that, right? But but actually, it's it's a very modern version of Object Pascal. We've, we've improved it a lot. It's, it's very streamlined and very nice. Uh, there's lots of, I'd say, high-level features in the language that, that make it worth using. Um, and worth looking at even if you do like Objective-C. Um, there's also lots of like little things that make coding easier than in Objective-C just for language simplicity. Um, and of course, if you do like Pascal or maybe use Pascal in the, in, in, in the past, Pascal and Object Pascal is a really nice language to, to, to write code in and to read code in. Um, so in general, I'd say it's, it's a language that's really a joy to work with. Um, and with Oxygen for Coco, we're bringing that language to the Cocoa frameworks, so you use the new language, but otherwise you get all the benefits from the Cocoa uh, platform. So you, there's no abstraction layers. It's not like you're building your UI with different widgets that sort of look like the Cocoa widgets, um, or that you're using different classes that aren't really a Cocoa classes. No, you're actually writing code straight against the, the, the Cocoa frameworks that you can use in WebKit, you're going to descend from NS object, you're going to write your UI table view controller, and all those good things just with a much nicer language and a different syntax and language that is much more expressive and allows you to do a lot more things than, than Objective-C does. And trust me, this is coming from someone who, who loves working on Xcode and loves working with Objective-C. Um, so I hope that's saying a little bit. 
Okay, so let, let's start with, I mean, okay, I, I'm, people may not have heard of Object, Ob, Object Pascal. Um, I, I'm guessing Object Pascal came from initially from Borland when they introduced Delphi in the mid-90s. Um, am I right in saying Object Pascal basically does for Pascal what Objective-C does for C? Uh, sort of, yeah. I mean, these, these days, pretty much every time someone says Pascal, they, they, they usually mean Object Pascal, be it, be it ours or uh, be it Delphi or there's other compilers out there, obviously, like Free Pascal. Um, but yeah, so, so basically, it sort of, I mean, the very first Pascal when it was shipped, when it was released in, I think, the late 60s was very rudimentary. I mean, probably even more rudimentary than C. And Pascal has evolved a lot since then. Um, and in getting object oriented sort of support in there is, is is one of those extensions that sort of led to people calling it object pascal to differentiate it yeah so hence your tagline this is not your daddy's pascal exactly yes because okay. it really isn't okay so um th so this is a full object-based language just like objective c is so why just um let's start here you say it's nicer than objective c and i know you and i know i that you do like Objective C because this isn't a case of you've done this because you hate it. It's okay, you'd like it. Just just give us a few examples maybe of why you feel this is a a nicer language to work in. Well, I, mean, I, I guess there's really two levels to it. I mean, the, the one level is Objective C is still C, right? So there's there's lots of things sort of C sort of baggage that that it brings with it that you either love or hate. Uh, like I mean, be it like curly braces or things like if you. If you use the wrong operator in an equal expression in an if, then suddenly you're assigning things like that. I mean, that, that sort of makes C sort of a messy language to work with. Um, that's I know, Objective C sort of tries to put more in the background, but in, 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 in the essence, it's still there. Um, so, so that's certainly one factor. So if you're not really that fond of C and C-style languages, which, which I usually am not, then having something based around Pascal certainly is, is, a, is a nice fresh breath of air. Uh, because Pascal is more, it's more descriptive, uh, it's more precise, um, and just just the way it works, you you avoid some of those pitfalls that C that C offers you to walk into. So that, that that's the one side. On the other hand, if if you love C and Objective C and, and like if you love the very, the very Cness of it, there's still lots of things in 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 Pascal in in, in Oxygen that that make it nice to use. For example, like one thing I can't get my head around why that still isn't properly supported in Objective C is you can just concatenate two strings with plus in oxygen, right? So you got an NS string and another NS string. So why do you have to write like string by appending string, whatever, right? So in oxygen, you just write A plus B and you get a new string. Um, or for example, you got auto boxing. So say you've got your I don't know, index path dot row, why not call dot string value on that and, and, and get, get a string representation just because it's an integer, right? So oxygen is going to take that and box it into an NS number for you under the hood and you can just you just you can just call those functions on it and treat it as an object without having to to do the dance of of casting or converting that back and forth. I mean that's just, just sort of two two examples. There's there's lots and lots more of course. Okay, so uh, I mean you can argue that it's got some um functionality that just makes it a little neater, a little cleaner to use. Um you said that you've been bringing this to multiple platforms. So when you say that this is a cross-platform language, are we talking it's cross-platform in the same way that, for example, C is cross-platform? Uh, you still have to write everything directly to the 
to the right libraries and everything, but you can just use the same language on all platforms? Or is it cross-platform in the way that people try to make Java cross-platform, as in you write one set of code and just use it everywhere? No, it, it, it's really more, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that, that Java is sort of trying to do both, but it's it's more in, in line of what you described for C. So it's it's the same language. So the language, like the syntax, how you how you construct your code is 99% identical on all three platforms. But on all platforms, you'd use the respective libraries. So as I said, I mean, if you want to write a table view, you're going to descend from UI table view controller, just like you would in Objective-C for Coco. And if you want to do the same on, on, on Android, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't do Android, but you do whatever you would do on Android using the Oxygen language. But you'd use their classes, right? And the same on Windows or Mac, you'd use the NS Table View and and so on, right? So really, if you were a, a developer shop that was doing stuff, you know, you were doing Android work, you were doing not .NET work, uh, you're doing you know um, Mac work and iOS work. You know, this is a way of having one language you can use across all the different native frameworks and not have to keep sort of context switching between using Java or C sharp or, you know, um, you know, objective C. Exactly. Yeah. So as a just next as an example, I've got like a little side project I'm working on right now, which is a sort of a helper application for our customers. Uh, and I'm, I'm working in, I've got one solution open and in there I've got the server, which I'm writing in .NET. Uh, I've got the iOS client written in Oxygen for Cocoa and I've got the Android client in the same solution, and and you can just seamlessly go back and forth, and you're using the same language. You have them open in the same IDE at the same time, and you just you just you sort of you you're you're eliminating the context switch between oh now I got to switch from Eclipse to Xcode to whatever. Okay, so that that raises a good point. You just said you have them all open in the IDE at the same time. What's the IDE you're working with Oxygen? Okay, so, so right now that IDE is Visual Studio because that's basically a historical thing because as I said, we started with .NET, so we've had a, have a long history of integrating with with Visual Studio and and basically just just frankly we had a lot of stuff we sort of got for free in terms of integration code and IDE support we've already written that just works with Oxygen that we could that we could leverage for uh, for the Java and for the Cocoa editions. So so right now Visual Studio is the IDE you would do your development on. Uh, and that runs under Windows, yes. So that's sort of one one little downside uh, if you're doing only Cocoa development. Um, but but longer term, we're looking into into doing into having Mac native IDE options as well. Um, but it was basically a better of getting the first release out and focusing on on the core aspect. And in this case, this was the compiler and the tool chain and all that goes with that. So we figured rather than you know, putting another huge you know, fire in the oven here to to work on. Let's just sort of reuse all the IDE stuff, uh, stuff we have and, and quote unquote just plug this extra version of the language in, into the same IDE infrastructure we already have. Okay, so um, let's assuming let's assume that our listeners can get over the fact that they might have to use an IDE on Windows to do their development initially, um, and, and let's pretend they've sort of sweated it through the night and dealt with that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> what's what's yo. Know, how is doing Mac development on Windows? I mean, how does how does it link up with, you know, all your provisioning profiles and your simulator and how, how does all that stuff work? Well, basically, we, we integrate all the toolchain from Visual Studio, Visual Studio for you. So we we, we talk. So we have like a helper service you, you run on your Mac, which could be your local Mac or maybe your 
your laptop and you're just running Windows in the VM, or you could have a Mac somewhere else in your office or whatever, and you connect to that once, and after that, basically, our code inside Visual Studio takes care of talking to to the Mac whenever it needs to, be it for, I don't know, signing your iOS apps, which has to be done on the Mac uh, by legal requirements, or, or whether it's to I don't know, get the latest provisioning profiles you have in Xcode and things like that. So the experience is really, you can do file new project in Visual Studio, select what device attached to your Mac you, or or which Mac or whatever you want to run on, and you just just press press F5, which is which is the start command in Visual Studio, and and you just see the app starting up in your simulator on your iPhone or on your Mac itself. So so the simulator and all that still runs it's still run on your Mac, but the debugger and everything runs in Windows. Right. Yeah. So you, you can you can debug from Visual Studio. You get the same debugging experience as you would debugging.net or or Java, if you're using Oxygen, you set your breakpoints in Visual Studio, you press run, it hits in Visual Studio, you can step through, you can look at stuff. Um, so that, I guess that's sort of another sort of point back to not having context switches. You don't have to learn to how to debug in three different IDEs either, right? Because the debugging works exactly the same for all three platforms too. So um, I'm, I'm guessing, if I'm perfectly blunt here, this is probably, if you only do iOS development for, you know, for your iPhone, whatever else, there's probably just a few too many loopholes to to make this sort of uh, seem really pleasurable to you. But as soon as you need to do something else like Android or .NET or something else as well, then yeah, this this is when the real benefits of this come to light. Right. Yeah. So 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 if you're like if you're already deep into Xcode and you're loving it and you don't see any benefit in the in the language features that Oxygen brings to you, then you probably want to hold off at least till we have a Mac side IDE because, frankly, you're just adding more hassle to to your toolchain probably. But but if any of those are not true, if you, if you're not happy with Xcode, if you if you're not loving Objective C, or if you're doing stuff for other platforms as well, um, and with Oxygen, I mean, again, with .NET and Java in the mix, you can run applications pretty much for anything you could dream of, right? I mean, it's not just Windows, desktop. I mean, you you can write, I know network servers to run on Linux uh, and, and, and whatnot, right? And so, so if any of that's the case, then, then Oxygen is certainly worth looking at. Um, and then again, I sort of want to make, make the point that I, th I think one big selling point for Oxygen, and would be silly if this weren't the case, is really is the language itself. So even if some of the other aspects like using Visual Studio for now seem sort of like a turnoff at first, um, I, th I think it's really worth having a look at Oxygen just for the language aspect, because I think the language is really really beautiful and clean and, 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 and really, really a joy to write code in. Okay, that's, uh, that sounds, um, you're really passionate about that. Yeah, and, no, you know, I, I, and maybe, I, yeah. Pe maybe people are saying, oh, it's just a language and a language and a language, but you know, yeah, you, you offer yep. free trials so people can go and try this anyway. And we'll, Indeed, we'll put yeah. links, links and everything that in the show notes. And, uh, and to, to, to be completely frank, like, I mean, I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed. I mean, obviously, I've, I've, I've been a driving factor behind the oxygen language myself. So obviously, I'm, I'm really deeply invested in it. But but when we started working on this project for for Coco, like I mean, probably started like a year and a half, two years ago, like the, the first planning phases, my thinking was pretty much okay. This, this is going to be nice to have for for other people, but but given how much I like Xcode and Objective C, I, I'm probably never going to get really into that, and I'm just going to keep using Objective C. And and, and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 